Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how Job's friends tried to help Job, but they had limited wisdom. Suffering does not always make sense with human logic. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, welcome, guys. We're so glad that you're here. You are the first group to be at the second service. So what an honor, right? Uh, I was telling them earlier this morning, I was thinking back to a time when we were in this room and there was a tile floor and we had folding metal chairs and there were just a handful of us. Maybe some of you are here. We did a work day. That was before we had occupancy from the city. So it was, shh, don't tell anybody. We were in here um, and uh, it just... That's part of being a church plant is that we, we do new things, we try different things, and it's just process of growth and change, and I love it. Um, and so I'd say all the time we're not pouring concrete, and sometimes we change things, and we're probably going to be more changing. So anyway, thanks for being here. Um, we're in the book of Job, and uh, we're continuing on in our series today. As I was preparing for this message, I came across a graphic, So we're talking about Job's friends. And you may recognize that logo, right? And then I was like, oh yeah, that show. And so I went and listened to the theme song and I was amazed as I listened to the theme song how well the lyrics kind of fit with our story. So I'm gonna play just a little bit of this song for you to hear the lyrics. Go ahead and play that for us. Isn't it funny how well that fits? You think of it, I'll be there for you, the friends are there, your, your life's a mess and all that. And by the way, someone did the little ch-ch-ch at both services, so that was cool. We had, do we have some friends, like fans in here? Anybody like really, really into it? There was a few in the last service too, so it's okay. Like, uh, I'm not a big Friends fan. I watched a few episodes of the show. I was like, meh, it's okay. Um, but some people really like it, and I think the reason that it was such a wildly popular show is because everybody wants some friends, Everybody wants someone in their life who's there for them, right? To go through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows of life. And they want to know that somebody is there for them. See, friends are uh, super helpful. We talked about this last week. When we go through hard times in life, friends can be really a game changer to walk alongside of you and to be with you, to give you the gift of their presence, also sometimes to give you advice, you think about friends, sometimes they give good advice. Sometimes good friends give not so good advice. Anybody here ever got bad advice from a friend? Like, you guys went to high school, right? <laughs> That's what high school friends are for. They give you bad advice. Um, I, I think back to my high school. I was going down a trip down memory lane, thinking about some bad choices I made in high school. And one of my friends he talked us, our friend group, into going to the neighboring town. There was a guy he didn't like from this other school, so we drove 30 miles to this other town, and they were having a basketball game that night. And so we go to the parking lot, and we find this guy's car. He had a blue Camaro. I'll never forget this. And we took all the valve stems out of his tires and let all the air out, all four tires, set it down on the rims, and then we screwed him back in so like he wouldn't know how the air got out. And so then we left and we came back after the, after the game was over and everybody was gone except for this guy and a few of his friends trying to air up the tires. And we were dumb enough to drive through the parking lot with the windows down laughing and pointing 
and they figured out it was us and they chased us out of town. They never caught us, but uh, just not a good ex- example, right? I, so kids, don't get any ideas. Don't do that. Uh, but that was, a ba- that was bad advice. I listened to one of my friends and he talked us into it. We went along with it because um, friends can do that at times, especially in high school. So friends can give good advice. They can give bad advice. And we're going to see from the story of Job, Job's friends showed up. He had three friends. They weren't Joey, Chandler, and Ross. They were uh, Eliaphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, right? Catchy names, I know. So they show up, and they are there for, for Job. First of all, they came to just grieve with him. Like, Job's life was a mess, and they showed up to grieve and weep with him for seven days. And then they start talking. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And it does create some drama. Okay, so if you like drama, that's where we're going. Now, I do want to recap the story just a little bit in case you haven't been with us, just to give you, bring you up current to what the story of Job is all about. The story of Job uh, takes place with a guy named Job who lived in the land of Uz. And he was a God-fearing man, and he worshiped God. He had a great family, um, highly respected. The Bible says he was like the greatest man in the East. And so he had lots of land. He had lots of livestock. He had a lot of employees. He had 10 kids. Like, he, he was just blessed. Like, Job's crushing it. He is, he's got it going on. And he's doing so well. God's blessed him. One day, Satan comes before God and he says, hey, your guy Job only loves you, God, because you bless him, because you give him everything that he wants. Why wouldn't he worship you? And God says to Satan, no, that's not who Job is. Like, he's actually a good guy. He's got integrity. He's got character. And so uh, God allows Satan to afflict Job to prove his point. And that's kind of what's happened. So in one day, Job loses everything that he has. Raiders come through, steal all his livestock, kill all of his servants. And then there's a a windstorm that blows down the house, kills all 10 of his children. All 10 of his kids are dead. Job's lost everything. And then his health goes in the toilet. Satan comes and he, he flicks him with boils, head to toe, covered with boils. He's scraping them with broken pottery, like, ouch, yuck. Scraping out the stuff, the junk. So his health is is gone. Job has nothing. He has lost absolutely everything in his life. And he's sitting in ashes and his friends show up. And they're there. Seven days they don't say a word and they just weep. And they're there for Job. And that's the story. Now they break the silence. That's where we're at today. And Job speaks up first. So we're going to go to Job chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance. This is going to be hard to follow along if you like to, to flip through all the scriptures. Because here's the deal. This dialogue between Job and his friends, these three friends, and then there's actually a fourth that comes in later. It's like 30 chapters long of dialogue. I would encourage you to go read it. If you haven't read it, it's rich. It's so good. And you'll get a lot deeper understanding of the dialogue between his friends. But for today... I'm just going to kind of grab a few verses here, and I'll give you kind of the highlight reel so you can understand the dialogue between Job and his friends. Okay, so here we go. Job 3, and in verse 3, this is what Job says. He breaks the silence. Let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Let that day be turned to darkness. Let it be lost 
even to God on high, and let no light shine on it. Then verse 13, had I died at birth, I would now be at peace. I would be asleep and at rest. Jump down to verse 25. What I always feared has happened to me. What I dreaded has come true. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest. Only trouble comes. And so what we hear is Job's pain. Job is in agony and he's been sitting there in ashes. His friends are there and he's saying, it would have been better if I was never born. If God would have just like erased me from history because my life is awful, my life is hard and he's raw and there's so much pain and emotion here that he's sharing with his friends. I don't know, I haven't had a lot of interchanges like this with friends and people, like being that raw, have you? I mean, could you imagine like going to the grocery store and bumping into someone you haven't seen in a while? Be like, oh, hey bro, how's it going? Doing a little shopping, I see, yeah. How's, how's your week? And if, if your friend were to reply, similar to Job, this is what Job says in Job 7. Is not all human life a struggle? Our lives are like that of a hired hand, like a worker who longs for the shade, like a servant waiting to be paid. I too have been assigned months of futility, long and weary nights of misery. Do you imagine if your friend said that to you? You'd be like, oh, okay. Well, we'll see you later. Say hi to the wife for me, you know. That's just where Job was. And he was honest and he was broken. And he's pouring out his heart to his friends. And his friends did so good up until this point. And then they start talking. And this is, this is where he's at. See, friends can, with good intentions can give bad advice. Our friends might be there for us, they might be supportive, but sometimes they might say some really dumb things and they might speak of things that they don't understand and that's what happens when you try to apply man's wisdom, our thinking, our logic to things that we really don't understand, we have no business speaking to. So let's look at Eliaphaz. First friend, Eliaphaz. Job shares his heart, he says, hey, life is bad, been better if I wasn't born. Eliaphaz speaks up. This is what he says. Oh, by the way, Eliaphaz is the Temanite. You guys remember, if you were here last week, uh, the Temanites, they, they were, it was a city known for wisdom. It was Teman with wisdom. That was a really bad joke. Nobody laughed at the other service either. I'm sorry. Uh, but so he goes, he goes to talk to, to Eliaphaz, the Temanite. And that's what he says in Job 4. Stop and think. Do the innocent die? When have the upright upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them. They vanish in a blast of anger. And so we might think, Eliphaz, he he sounds pretty smart. You know, and and as you read through these 30 chapters of dialogue, it's amazing. You, You pick up on things, you're like, I don't think they're all wrong. I don't think it's all bad advice, but we find if you go to the end of the book of Job, which is coming, and I can't wait. This is my favorite part when God finally speaks and like just silences everybody. Like you guys don't know what you're talking about. He he corrects the friends. So we know the friends are wrong. We know that they have false logic, false ideas, and we're going to dig into some of these because their wisdom is flawed. 
And so this is what Eliphaz says. I don't know if you caught this in there. It's kind of a hint. Um, but he gives us a clue. He says, my experience shows. Do you see that? My experience shows. So Eliphaz is basing his advice and theology on his life experience. We, we don't do that, do we? Yeah, we do. We base what we, our life and, and, and what we think about God on what's happening. It's, it's the school of hard knocks. We live life. We live and learn, right? And that isn't all bad. The problem is, is we don't have complete knowledge and understanding of everything in life. So we can get off track. If we say, well, hey, my experience tells me this must be true. Not always, right? If I'm sick, God must be punishing me, right? If I'm financially broke, God must be trying to get back at me, right? Not always. If you steal a car and you go to jail for grand theft auto, that's a consequence for something that you did. But if you are diagnosed with a terminal illness or you get in an accident or something happens that's just completely out of your control, it's easy for us to start to question God and say, well, God, you're out to get me. You're trying to get back at me, right? And that's, that's where our, our logic takes us sometimes when we don't have the wisdom of God. So Eliaphaz comes in, tons of confidence, right? Got all this wisdom. Joe, buddy old pal, uh, I've lived a little while. I've been around the block a couple times and I've got some wisdom to drop on you. And so he starts offering things to Job that's not helpful. He says, hey, God destroys the wicked. You're being destroyed Hence, you must be wicked. And that's what he starts to to tell Job. This is what he says. He gives him some advice of what to do next in Job 5. If I were you, I would go to God and present my case to him. He does great things, too marvelous to understand. And he performs countless miracles. Job responds to Eliaphaz. One should be kind to a fainting friend, but you accuse me without any fear of the Almighty. Look at me. Would I lie to your face? Stop assuming my guilt, for I have done no wrong. Do you think I'm lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? So they're having this interchange, and Eliaphaz then says to him in Job 5, we have studied life and found all of this to be true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. And so basically Eliaphaz is saying, hey, we've lived a lot of life We've got the wisdom. By the way, you're the one whose life is a mess, Job, so we're going to tell you what to do. And, and this is where the first lie comes into place. This false way of thinking is that in Eliaphaz's mind, there is God and there is Job. And if God is punishing Job, then Job must be guilty. There's no account for Satan. So this is false idea number one. There is no Satan behind suffering. Eliaphaz doesn't account for that in his dialogue with Job. He's basically, you're, you're guilty, dude. You, you did something wrong. God's getting back at you. By the way, I just want to give credit to the guy who came up with these false ideas. It came from a book called Trusting God in the Darkness by Christopher Ashe. If you want to dig more into the book of Job, it's a great book, great resource. But I just want to give him credit. I, I'm using these as kind of jumping off points for this morning. So the first false idea, there is no Satan behind suffering. See, Satan is truly the one to blame, isn't he? He's the one to blame here. He's the one who's messing everything up. But without that understanding that there are evil forces at work in the world, 
we tend to oversimplify things. It's just, it's just not that simple. And, and if we don't understand when we're being attacked, then we, we start to draw conclusions like Eliaphaz did. Now, I don't know that we always can tell what's going on in the spiritual realm. I mean, I can't. I, I think we have a sense sometimes that, oh, there's spiritual attack going on here. Sometimes we can feel it. You can sense it. But sometimes I think there's things going on in our lives that we don't know. We say, man, does, does life play out a little bit like what happened in Job? I mean, I'm no Job, but does Satan go and ask for permission to harm me? I don't know. I think he does. God's in control. We know he's sovereign. Satan doesn't do anything that God doesn't allow. There's some big themes here, right? God's sovereignty, suffering. How does this all work? So I want to pause for two questions of discussion. The first one is this. Why do you think understanding suffering with a connection to Satan is important? Understanding that dynamic of spiritual warfare and suffering. Why is that important for us to understand that? What do you guys think? It makes us stronger because I just don't want Satan to win. It makes us stronger because I don't want Satan to win. Yeah, there's like another side where there's, there's, there's a battle going on, right? Makes us kind of dig in a little bit maybe. Yeah, what else? I think if you realize that you're under spiritual attack, that it makes it easier for you uh, to lose all the fight of all what resources you to. Yeah, if you realize you're under spiritual attack, maybe it helps you know how to respond. Doesn't it kind of give us a little bit of a why, too? Like, we always wonder, why am I struggling? Well, that's kind of an explanation. You know, it doesn't give us the full picture, but at least we have somewhat of an, oh, there's evil in the world. There's a, I have an enemy of my soul who hates me, and he's trying to get me. Yeah. Well, uh, question number two. Can you think of a time when you lost perspective in your life while suffering? And what was it? It's probably any time we've suffered, by the way. But can you think of a time you lost perspective? Nobody? Yeah, so stopped focusing on God and stopped focusing more on, say that again, focusing on yourself and what would get you through it. Is that what she said? Yeah. Fill my emptiness. Yeah, yeah. We look to other things to find our happiness and to fill that emptiness rather than looking to God. And that's how oftentimes we cope, right? We find ways of coping with suffering and we lose perspective of why we're in the situation in the first place. Yeah, for sure. So after Eliaphaz scolds Job, like he scolds him, and Job basically says, this guy's a bozo. And he just cries out to God. He says, God, remember me. I'm going through this struggle. Do you not see me? Because he knows he's not getting anywhere with Eliaphaz. So he cries out to God and he pours out his heart once again. And there's chapters of that. And then the second friend speaks up. Bildad the Shuhite. Bildad reminds me of Bilbo Baggins, right? (laughs) Bildad, he speaks up and And this is what he says to Job in Job 8. How long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. Does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? 
Your children must have sinned against him. So their punishment was well deserved. But if you pray to God and seek the favor of the Almighty, and if you are pure and you live with integrity, he will surely rise up and restore your happy home. Did you see what he just said to Job? Job has just lost everything. He's lost his 10 children, and Bildad has the guts to say, Hey, uh, Job, I know why your kids are dead. They were guilty. Of course they were guilty. Who doesn't sin? Who hasn't sinned? Everybody has sinned, except for Jesus, right? So, of course they're guilty, but he said, I mean, he had no awareness of what his friend is going through. I mean, dude, read the room, right? Like, just pay attention a little bit. He says, they must have sinned against God. That's why they're dead. You think that was helpful to Job to hear that? So you remember the, the seven days, the whole week of not saying anything and weeping and sitting in ashes together? That's all out the window. All the comfort that his friends gave him by the gift of their presence, gone, because he's now trying to fix the problem. And, and here's, here's the false idea number two. There is no final judgment. That's, that's the false idea that he's, he's, he's saying, basically, there's no final judgment. You have what's happening in real time. It's the law of retribution. The wicked get punished, the good get blessed. So that's how it's all playing out. Like if you, if you do something bad, boom, God's going to smite you right now. If you do something good, he's going to bless you right now. And that's the way that Bildad was approaching this story. He said, everything, God, God punishes the wicked and he blesses the good. It's like a vending machine, right? You put in a little bad, out pops a can of poison. You put in a little good, out pops a can of blessing. Like it's just, and, and he's, he's trying to approach it very simply. See, the Bible teaches that we will reap what we sow, but not immediately because what we sow has to grow until the harvest. Jesus taught on this. He said, it's the tares and the wheat. You don't know what's going to happen at the end. You got to let it play out. And Jesus is going to take care of it in the end. And there's going to be a final judgment. And so we don't have to solve all of life's issues now, right? It's, it's, the righteous will be saved, the wicked will be punished in the end. But man's wisdom tells us that we know what's going on. And because, it, Job, you're suffering, that, and because your kids died, they must have done something wrong. And just draw conclusions. Two more questions of discussion. How does the final judgment change the way we see and understand suffering? If there's a judgment in the end, if God's going to take care of all of it in the end, how does that change the way that we see suffering in this life? What do you guys think? <laughs> gives me a little time to get it right. I think that's the key word, it's time, right? Because we, we think, oh, it's got to, you know, bam, this happens there. God gives us, he's patient, long-suffering, he gives us time to live our lives and let it play out. So question two, why is it good news for us that God doesn't immediately judge us in real time? Anybody want to be judged right now? 
like for what you're doing wrong, like wham, bam, like I don't. Is it good news for us that we get time and God's patient? Does that change the way we approach life, the way we think, the way we act? Yeah, it's good news for us. So Job cries out. He says, oh, build that. I'm not getting anywhere with you, guy. And he cries out to God again. And he says, Lord, hear me. I'm in agony and I'm scraping my wounds and, and I'm in pain. And then number three shows up. Zophar the Namathite. That's quite a mouthful, isn't it? Zophar. And this is what he says. He also agrees that Job's guilty, by the way. Job, it's your fault. And this is what he says, Job 11. If you would only prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer, get rid of your sins and leave all the iniquity behind you, then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. Little little advice there for you, Job, buddy old pal. And this is what Job says. Look, I have seen all this with my own eyes and heard it with my own ears. And now I understand. I know as much as you do. You are no better than I am. As for me, I would speak directly to the Almighty. I want to argue my case with God himself. And as for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. If only you could be silent, that's the wisest thing you could do. Job's getting a little frustrated. He's had it up to here with these guys. They're supposed to be his friends on his team, and yet they're on his back. And he's having to defend himself to the very people who are supposed to be encouraging. And I love that line in there. As physicians, you're quacks, right? We've got some physicians in the house. He's, he's got a sense of humor, right? He's like, you guys are worthless. You're no good. And here's false idea number three. There is no innocent suffering. This is the man's wisdom. This is the conclusion that his friends come to. There's no innocent suffering. They even said it in Job 4.7. Who that was innocent ever perished? Nobody, nobody suffers when they're innocent. Nobody perishes. See, the thing about Job's friends and Job's story is that happened way before Jesus. We have the benefit of knowing the story of Jesus. God himself, who came down from heaven, walked this earth, lived the perfect life that we could never live, died the death that we deserved, suffered awfully. Did Jesus do anything wrong? No, innocent. The perfect picture of innocent suffering we see in Jesus. We have the benefit of that. We can say, well, innocent suffering does exist. Happened with Jesus. Job's friends are like, no, innocent people don't suffer. It's just not part of our worldview. And so, Job, you must be guilty. See, in God's economy, suffering does not always equal punishment for guilt. So we can't always draw those connections and say, well, a person's suffering, they must be guilty, or I'm suffering, I must have done something wrong. It's not always the case. See, suffering is often a pathway to growth, God uses suffering in our lives to grow our character, to grow our faith. And if I'm really honest, I'm okay not growing. (laughs) I'm okay just no suffering, no trials. Like, God, give me a cush life. Like, I'm okay with that. But he's not. He says, I want to grow you. 
I'm going to take you through some hard things in your life so that you can become more like Jesus. Because he suffered. And we share with him in his suffering. James 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So God's using the trials, the struggles, the suffering in our lives to grow us. Even though it isn't fun, consider it pure joy. I don't think it means, oh, I'm happy that I'm suffering. It means that we can look past our suffering and say, there's something so much greater. I have hope and I know that God loves me. And even though my life is really hard right now, he knows what he's doing. And I can take joy in that because he knows what he's doing. When Job's friends showed up, they, they sat with him. Like I said, seven days, didn't say a word. They showed him empathy. They were there, they were present with him. And then they start talking and they just ruined it all, didn't they? They spoke of things they didn't understand. They tried to offer advice, tried to fix things. And Job wasn't looking for advice. And he gets into this argument and there's all this banter and and it just really shows us, I think, again, sometimes a friend who's, who's going through a hard time doesn't need all your solutions, all your wisdom. They may ask for some advice along the way. That's okay. But mostly what people need to know is like the lyric of that song from the show, I'll be there for you. I'll be there for you. See, what Job really needed from his friends is he needed them to say, Job, we don't understand why your life is a mess. We don't understand why you've lost your kids and your, your livestock and, and your health. But we're here for you. We love you, Job. And the greatest advice that they could have gave to Job, God loves you. God is for you. We don't understand this. We don't have all the answers. But God is with you. That's the advice that Job needed from his friends. Instead, he gets these false ideas. There's no Satan behind suffering. There's no final judgment. There's no innocent suffering. And they have tried to apply man's wisdom, their own experiences from life to interpret the things of God. And you're gonna see at the end of this book, I can't wait, when God speaks, it's just like, ugh, we didn't know what we were talking about. God, you know what you're doing. You're good, you're loving, you're kind. We have to be humble enough to admit that there are some things that only God has the answers to and we're just guessing. So maybe it's just better to just, just not try to have the answers sometimes and just to show up and to be present. There's so much to learn from this book, you guys. I love, I love the fact that his friends came to him I love the fact that we saw how they did it wrong, how they messed up. And, and even in the end of the story, there's grace. Oh my goodness. God shows so much grace. So we're, we're going to continue on this book for a couple more weeks. Um, this morning, we're going to end with communion. And as we think about that theme of suffering, we think about all that Jesus went through. Communion is a great time just to take the elements, the the bread and the cup, and we remember Jesus poured out his blood for the forgiveness of our sins, and he, his body was broken 
so that we could be made whole. And so as we take communion, as we do it here, I'm going to say a prayer for us. The band's going to play a song. We just invite you to take some time. Call it communion because you're communing with God. Just talking to him. Thank him for what he's done. Reflect on his sacrifice. If you need the elements, just raise your hand. We can bring you some. We've got a basket back here. Anybody need one? So just take a moment and just reflect. Thank Jesus for giving his blood and his body for us. And then you can join in the song if you'd like to, and we'll close. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for the the story of Job. And God, even though it doesn't make sense, we don't have all the all the whys, all the reasons why you allowed this, these things into his life. The truth is we can trust you. God, your heart and your character are the same. And God, you love your children and you always do what's best for them. So God, let us believe that truth. Let us live into that. And if we're struggling right now, just to remember The cross is always the perfect example for us to look to, to see how much you love us. You loved us enough to send Jesus on a rescue mission, to lay down his life, to suffer and to die. So thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending him. We love you. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Friends with good intentions can give bad advice. Eliaphaz speaks to Job. False idea number one. There is no Satan behind suffering. Satan is truly the one to blame here, but without understanding that there are evil forces in the world that are out there to harm us, we oversimplify things. Bildad. Bildad gives us false idea number two. There is no final judgment. The Bible teaches us that we will reap what we sow, but not immediately, because what we sow has to grow until harvest. Zophar. Zophar closes us off with false idea number three. There is no innocent suffering. Job's friends made three mistakes, three lies that they were trying to get Job to believe. Eliaphaz's advice led to the idea that there is no Satan behind suffering. Bildad's advice led to the idea that there is no final judgment. And Zophar's advice led to the idea that there is no innocent suffering. There are some things that only God has the answer to. We're just guessing. Discussion Questions Why do you think understanding suffering with a connection to Satan is important? Can you think of a time that you lost perspective in your life while suffering? What was it? How does the final judgment change the way that we see and understand suffering? Why is it good news for us that God doesn't immediately judge us in real time? That there is a final judgment? Thanks for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.